0: Veterans Day was uh, just a little under two weeks ago, Uh, this day that is a a national holiday where um, our nation kind of hits pause to uh, celebrate, reflect on, and honor uh, veterans and those who have given themselves to uh, military service. I'll be honest with you, uh, as a pacifist, I have uh, complicated feelings uh, with Veterans Day. Um, as a as a pacifist, someone who has given myself to like this way of nonviolence, who uh, with all that the strength that I can muster up, attempts to live in a nonviolent sort of posture towards the world, I have complicated feelings towards Veterans Day um, because as a as a pacifist, I can identify like the destructive and uh, damaging effects of things like war and military intervention all across the world, right? Um, and I can think through like how the situations and the conflicts that we find ourselves currently engaged in can be traced back like something like ten years prior, <laughs> and how that act of war, that act of military intervention uh, radicalized one group of people who were especially mad and then led us to the situation that we find ourselves in now, right and we can go back something like ten years beyond and ten years beyond and ten years beyond, maybe not exactly right, but you catch the drift like the situations that we find ourselves in are often because of some act of war military intervention years prior, right? So I'm conflicted about Veterans Day because I recognize the, the damaging and destructive effects of uh, war and military intervention around the world. But I'm also conflicted about it because like, I recognize not just the damaging and destructive effects of it around the world, but also within the lives of veterans themselves. Um, this past week I read a statistic that said something like 22 veterans commit suicide every day which is like twice the national average for non-veterans. So we're we're talking about like destructive and damaging uh, effects like in the lives of perhaps like our neighbor down the street, right? And so because of like these damaging and destructive effects both in the world around us and in the lives of veterans themselves, like our neighbor down the street, I have complicated feelings towards it. But perhaps the reason why I, as a pacifist, have the most complicated feelings towards Veterans Day is that I recognize that as a white guy living in 2021, I have benefited so much personally from these damaging and destructive acts all around the world, and I I don't know what to do with that, right? But more than just being a pacifist, like, I'm not a pacifist in a vacuum. I'm not a pacifist because of some, like, ideological philosophy or anything like that. Like, I'm a pacifist because I'm a Christian, and I think that the Jesus tradition points us towards this way of nonviolence. So I, I have complicated feelings towards Veterans Day as a Christian. And I think uh, to be a Christian, if nothing else, means that we have some sort of new imagination about how to think through how we engage with conflict and injustice in the world. And yet, what I see happening with much of like the broad stroke Status quo Christianity isn't a new imagination about how to deal with conflict and injustice, but rather it's much of the same old, same old. You threaten us, we threaten you. You attack us, we attack you. You take out our eye, we take out your eye. You take out our tooth, we take out your tooth. It's not much of a new imagination about how to deal with conflict and injustice, but rather it's much of the same old, same old. So I'm conflicted about it, Veterans Day, as a Christian But I'm also conflicted about Veterans Day as a pastor, because if being a Christian means that we have a new imagination, then I think being a pastor means that it's my job in some sense to cultivate and spur on this new imagination for us as a community, and not looking specifically at our community necessarily, but again, looking at broad stroke, like status quo Christianity, I see much of the same old, same old. So a little thought experiment here. Can anybody tell me when Veterans Day is? November 11th, each and every year, right? It doesn't matter when November 11th falls, uh, what day on the week, it's always November 11th. Can anybody tell me when Christ the King Sunday is? Can anybody tell me what Christ the King Sunday is? Christ the King Sunday is the last Sunday in the liturgical or the church calendar, which, by the way, is today, um, <laughs> Uh, The church calendar doesn't start January 1st. It starts with the beginning of Advent and it ends with Christ the King Sunday. And Christ the King Sunday is this culmination of the entire liturgical, the entire church calendar where we confess that Christ is our king, that Christ is indeed on the throne, that this is the culmination of this entire story of scripture, the entire story of the people of God comes to this point with Jesus sitting on the throne and ruling and reigning the entire cosmos the way that God would desire for it to be. Now notice what just happened here: (laughs) a room filled with people at church who have given themselves to this Jesus tradition were able to identify when Veterans Day was, but not Christ the King Sunday, like this penultimate celebration of like the hope of our faith. Now I think this points something out to us that we, as a people, rather implicitly or complicitly, like have been so incredibly shaped by the way of war and the way of empire rather than the way of peace and the kingdom. So with today being Christ the King Sunday, uh, let's spend some time reflecting on what it means for Christ to be our king. And so uh, to do that, we're going to look at one of the texts that has shaped this sort of imagination of what it means for Christ to be our king. And that comes from Isaiah chapter 9. So uh, what I want to do is kind of work our way through uh, each verse in this chapter uh, and it's it's poetry, so like to try and explain it is like explaining a joke, right? Like it loses everything. So I'm just going to offer a little commentary uh, to help shed some light on it, and then at the end uh, reflect on like what all of this means for Christ to be our King, and hopefully tie a nice subversive little bow on it uh, as we move forward. Sound good? All right. Now before we get into Isaiah 9, a little bit of like backstory of what we're stepping into in this world of Isaiah 9. Now, if you know much about the book of Isaiah, you know that we don't actually know much about the book of Isaiah, right? <laughs> Even like down to who the author is. There's some really good speculation that there's more than one author of Isaiah maybe like an editor, editors, right? So like we don't actually know a whole lot of specifics about the, uh, the minute details of the book of Isaiah. But one of the things that we do know is sort of the geopolitical landscape that's happening surrounding um, the, the events happening in the book of Isaiah, And what we know about the geopolitical landscape of the day is that it was an absolute nightmare. (laughs) Because as with any other uh, time period, we have a world superpower who is um, wreaking havoc across the land, and that is the empire of Assyria. Now, Assyria had been the world superpower for a number of years, and they had been this growing nation, but then, for whatever reason, they kind of lied dormant for a number of years. They were content to just be... The, the big bad kid on the block, but weren't trying to like stretch the region or the territory or their influence. And so for a number of kings, they kind of laid dormant, but then a new king came along who said, I'm tired of being dormant and woke up the sleeping giant. And as you can imagine, everybody around them took notice <laughs> because when the world superpower wakes up and decides that it wants to start expand, everybody pays attention. It's kind of like when uh, North Korea begins like their nuclear testing again. Like they're not the world superpower, but like you know, you never want somebody really temperamental with a finger on nuclear weapons, right? Like that sort of thing. Like we all kind of take notice. Same thing happening here. And so everybody's trying to figure out how do we respond to this. Well, the way that you respond to the bully is maybe you as an individual can't take them on, but maybe you and a buddy can take them on, right? And so we see all of these alliances start to happen. These alliances are funny because, like, these people aren't actually buddies, but who is your friend but an enemy of your enemy, right? And so we see all of these nations coming together to stand up against Assyria. Now, all of this is really complex for the nation of Israel. Remember, they've split at this point. We have Israel in the north, Judah in the south, but this is all complex for the the nation of Israel because it had been predicted that they would be conquered by Assyria, There were all of these warnings saying, like, you are turning away from this call that God has placed on your life. You have turned in this trajectory that isn't healthy, that isn't helpful, and if you continue down this trajectory, like, this is what's going to happen. Assyria is going to come in, conquer you, and split you out, and separate you, and send you out into a foreign, distant land that you don't know called the Exile. Exile. But Israel didn't listen to this, and they continued to walk down this path. And it's as if God was like, if you want to be like all of the other nations, walk like all of the other nations, then you're going to experience conflict and injustice like all of the other nations without my protection on it. It's kind of like when you're trying to cook and your toddler wants to touch the oven, right? And you're like, all right, buddy, this is going to be bad for you. So you pick them up and walk them into the living room, and you come back, and then 30 seconds later, they're there trying to touch the oven, and you repeat this multiple times until you're turning around, cutting, say, I don't know, sweet potatoes, and then you hear a tss- Ah! Well, buddy, I told you, like, this is going to be bad for you, right? Now, this is totally theoretical because, thankfully, our oven is well insulated. Otherwise, this would be like a daily reality in our household, right? But this is sort of God's posture with the exile. If this is what you want, if you truly want to be like all of the other nations, I will grant that request. So Israel then gets captured by Assyria. They come in. They rip families apart, brother from sister, uh, kids from parents, Uh, uh, communities apart and they're sent out into a new land that they don't know and their life absolutely miserable. And so it's with this backdrop that we step into the words of Isaiah chapter 9. Starting in verse 2, we read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who lived in a land of deep darkness on them light has shined out of all of the metaphors that scripture uses, uh, light and darkness uh, is one that like resonates the most with me because it 's one that like I experience often, right like who hasn 't wandered around in the darkness, stepped on something, bumped their head into like a corner of a wall as you 're just stumbling around trying to find light, right. And I think what's fascinating here is like the, the author here acknowledges that like this darkness would have been like the state it would have been like the way of life for the Israelites at this point. Like to be in exile, to have been ripped away from family and friend and community, to have been ripped away from your land violently, to be under the oppressive rule and reign of a foreign superpower, like this would have been darkness. And I think most of us can relate to the sense of like being in darkness. Whether that be like a literal darkness of like the power going out or walking into a room and not knowing where the light is and the pain of bumping into things, stepping on things, right? Or the darkness or like a metaphorical darkness. Of like being in like deep conflict with a family member and knowing that Thanksgiving's around the corner. Of like losing uh, a friend or a loved one. Or like wrestling through the journey of mental health. Like we know the weight that that darkness can feel. But because we know the weight of that, that that darkness can feel, we also know the joy and the hope that comes when light pops into that. And so the prophet here is saying, for those who have experienced this great darkness, this weightiness of this darkness, this darkness of a way of life, you are now experiencing something like good news, a light breaking into that hope in the midst of your despair. Um. If I can say this without anybody throwing anything at me, but this is a room full of pacifists too, right? So um, one of the things that I think COVID has given us, at least as a preacher, is plenty of examples for us to draw from. So uh, that's a good thing of it all. That's a joke for anybody who's worried about that. But I think for many of us, like uh, COVID, has been this like common denominator of like a sense of darkness, yeah. Um, and and throughout COVID, like the things that we took for granted have been like taken away from us. One of the things that I had taken for granted that I didn't even know that I liked was singing. (laughs) Not that I like to sing, but I like hearing you all sing. Like, you all have good voices. Me, not so much. So I I really enjoyed, like, being in a space hearing you all sing. And yet for a year, all of that was taken away. And then there was a moment. um, I was officiating a wedding in Virginia. Some of you were there. uh, Ben and Kayla uh, Zook's wedding. Where they had singing as part of their service. Like, vaccines had been widely available at this point, and they felt comfortable with it. And I had this unique perspective as officiating and like, looking out and seeing people when like, that first chord was strummed, and like, it felt like light breaking into the darkness. Like You could feel something had just shifted. And I know talking to a number of people who were there, like they were weeping as we were singing because it felt like light breaking into the darkness. So the prophet begins this vision here by talking about light breaking into those who had experienced darkness as a way of life. Continues on, verse three, and says, you multiplied the nation, increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. This is all talking about like prosperity as a nation, which if you've been kicked out into exile, like first of all, being a nation once again, well, that feels like light and darkness, right? But not to just be a nation, but to be a nation that prospers, that functions, that has like a way of life, like that would have felt like light breaking into the darkness, We continue on and we read, For the yoke of their burden, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you've broken as on the day of Midian. Notice the repetition of imagery here. The yoke of their burden, yoke being like this harness that animals would wear pulling a plow through the field, Bar across their shoulder, like with this imagery of like carrying weight on the end of it, something that holds you down, that weighs you down. The rod of their oppressor, like a, wit, uh, a whip or a, a switch, you know, something to like beat and motivate uh, a slave or a worker or something like that. Like, all of these would have served as like these tangible reminders of suffering and oppression. And I don't think that these would have been like vague images, like, I think these were things that they had experienced. I think they had been put into like this physical suffering, this physical oppression from the, the Assyrians and like they would have known what a yoke on their shoulder felt like, a bar across their, uh, their shoulders would have felt like. They would have known what the rod of the oppressor would have felt like. Uh, believe it or not, uh, back in the day, I used to be uh, quite the football player. I was, uh, I was all state in football, academic all state, but not all state nonetheless. <laughs> And uh, I was an offensive lineman, and there was a drill that I absolutely hated doing, and it was the sled. If you're not familiar with the sled, this is a picture of the sled. You've probably seen him on football fields somewhere. And as you can see here, like, the point was you would get in your football stance, and then the coach would, like, whistle or something, and you would have to hit it, and you'd have to, like, practice blocking with it. But as you can see in this picture here, there is, like a coach standing on it. So not only are you pushing this giant piece of metal, but there's also like somebody standing on it. One of my offensive line coaches was not a petite individual, but was rather quite large, and he would stand on it, and it made it all the more difficult for us to push this thing. But every once in a while, we would get to a point where we had to turn the sled. And so what he would do is come and stand right on the corner there, with all of his weight, and if you were the poor sap here, there was nothing you could do about it. You would be standing there, you'd be chopping and moving as fast as you could. He'd be hurling insults at you, trying to motivate you in some some way, shape, or form, and there was absolutely nothing you could do to move him. Like, this sled served as like a tangible reminder of the suffering and the oppression of being an offensive lineman in high school, right? And then something would happen every day. We would hear, Go get water. (laughs) And it felt like all of the hope that had been drained from us just filled back into our veins. But the problem here, of course, the sled was there the next day. (laughs) Each and every day we had to hit the sled. But for the author here, we're told that these tangible reminders of suffering and oppression, they're not there the next day. They don't have the final say because we're told that God has broken them. (laughs) These tangible reminders of their suffering and their oppression have been broken, completely and utterly rendered useless. These things aren't there for the king to use for another one. These things aren't there for them to, to use against their enemies. They're not there for their oppressor to continue to use against them, but they have been broken and completely and utterly rendered useless. Again, feeling like light breaking in to the darkness. And then we're told, for all the boots of the trampling warrior and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. Uh, I'll be honest, this one always perplexes me. Like, it seems very strange. Like, all of these great, beautiful signs of things being broken, like light breaking into the darkness, and now we're talking about burning garments? Like, let's sit with this here for a second. Uh, I think what they're talking about here are, like, warriors' clothing. So, like, military uniforms here, right? So what, what, what are military uniforms used for? They tell us whose side you're on, right Modern-day uniforms even have a patch to signify like whose nation you belong to, whose side you're on. And so if we think about military garments being like a reminder of who, or a, a, a designation of whose side you're on, think about these military garments being covered in something like blood, the blood being like a reminder of the consequences that sides have in our, in our life. That because we forget that we're, we're shared some sort, something like a common humanity, like we engage in conflict and blood as a result of that, a reminder of that. And yet we're told that they burn these garments. Why? Because light has broken into the darkness. Something new is on the horizon. There's a new reality that's breaking forth into the old. And war will be no more. <laughs> And so we have no use for these military garments. These instruments of war are no longer needed. And so let's find something better to use them for. It's cold out. We'll burn them. We'll have some fuel for a fire, right? Kind of like when your youngest uh, is potty trained and you're like, wow, we have hundreds of thousands of dollars every month that we can spend on something other than diapers, right? There's a real great liberation that comes with that. So I am told, right? War's no more. Let's find something better, something more useful, something more productive to use these things for. Now, good question here is, like, how does all of this come to be? Because, like, for these people, they've been walking in great darkness for such a long time. And verse 6 gives us a little bit of an indication here. For a child has been born for us. A child, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders. The way that all of this can come about is that there's, there's one who is to come who will usher us into all of this. Now, is this a king? Is, this, uh, is, is the author here talking about like a, a king? Is he talking about some sort of messianic figure? I don't know. We don't know a whole lot about Isaiah. But what I do know is that the early Christians began to read this and they're like, a child has been born for us. Oh, I know this story. <laughs> this is Jesus. Jesus is the child that's been born for us. Jesus is the son who's been given to us and authority rests upon his shoulders. They began to reread all of this in light of Jesus and the experience that they had with Jesus. The author here goes on and offers what's called like throne names, like attributes that were wished upon a king when they took the throne. It calls him wonderful counselor, like someone who can engage in like meaningful conflict resolution because conflict doesn't have to end in us killing one another, surprisingly, right? It would be called mighty God, like carrying the weight of God behind him. Everlasting Father, meaning like he'll be on the throne a really, 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 really long time. Prince of Peace, meaning like he'll lead us in the way of shalom and generativity. And then we're told, lastly, how like his rule and reign will look. His authority will grow continually. Be endless peace, the throne of David and for his kingdom. will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time onward. See, all of this comes to this climactic sort of conclusion that like, there is a, a child who will bring about hope for us. And the hope of this child isn't the hope of any other sort of child, but it's a different sort of hope that comes with this child. So as one commentator notes, that it's a child who will show us a way beyond political and military liberation. It's not more the same old, same old, but leading us into a new sort of thing. And I think that this is the key to it all the hope that comes with this child, this hope that comes with this king, the hope uh, of this king is the hope of a new reality. The hope that comes with this king isn't the same old, same old that we see with every other empire, every other king, leading us in, in trying to be bigger and better than everybody else, leading us in more and more violence. Um, but rather, what we see with this new king is the hope of a new reality, of, of the, the instruments of war and violence and oppression and suffering being broken and burned and rendered completely and utterly useless. The hope of this king is that there is a new reality that we, as the people of this king, get to lead into. But that isn't just the hope of this king, but for us, as followers of Jesus, this is the hope of our king. That with Jesus, it's not more of the same old, same old. It's not that Jesus is now for us an oppressor for everybody else, but that Jesus is actively leading us into a new sort of reality. Which brings me back to my conflicted feelings about uh, Veterans Day. Because I think for Veterans Day, it's a, it's a hope that this does something for us. That having a military presence that's bigger than anything else in the world will somehow save us and deliver us and liberate us and, and lead us into salvation as a people. But recognize that, like, this is all just more of the same old, same old. Because Believe it or not, the United States will fade away someday and there'll be another superpower who has the biggest superpower military the world has ever seen and it will just continue to repeat on endlessly if this is where our hope lies. The sort of hope that Veterans Day will lead us and save us and liberate us into into, uh, um, the existence that we hope for is what has led to a progression from using things like fists as a weapon to using knives as a weapon. The sort of hope that we have in Veterans Day to to be the thing that we're hoping it will be has led us from uh, knives to swords, from swords to guns, from guns to tanks, from tanks to bombs, to now having a nation who has like a nuclear power arsenal that can blow the world up many times over, right? Meanwhile, there's still suffering. Meanwhile, there's still homelessness. Meanwhile, there's still starving people all over the world. There's nothing new about the hope that comes with Veterans Day. But there is something new that comes with the hope of Jesus being our king. So, uh, as you might have guessed, like trying to live into this new reality feels like, well, rather new, right? <laughs> and if we try to live into it, it can often feel like we're, we're going against the grain a bit. Um, so how do we cultivate this sort of new reality among us? I think this is where the role of like, the local church steps into it. Because I think in some ways like the, the church can be a, a bit of a, a petri dish of sorts, right? Remember those from biology? Uh, it, a petri dish exact, or acts as like a, a controlled environment where you can determine like, what you want into it or what not to go into it. And so we as a church, as we try to live out this new reality, can determine like, what's on the table and what's off of the table. So in light of texts like this, like, we get to say that things like war and violence are off the table in this new reality that we're trying to cultivate we can say that things like shame are off of the table when it comes to this new reality that we're trying to cultivate. We can say that uh, things like blind partisan political allegiance as our ultimate hope are off the table in this new reality that we're trying to cultivate. We can say that all of the ugly isms and all of the other ugly phobias of the world are off the table in this new reality that we're trying to cultivate. But now that all of these ugly things are off of the table, like we're left asking the question, like now what? And I think the now what is We follow Jesus as our king. (laughs) And I think when we follow Jesus as king, he invites us to imagine a world where the only sort of suffering that we're causing is co suffering as we enter into the suffering of our sisters and brothers. I think Jesus is inviting us into a world where uh, love rather than shame is like our primary motivator. I think Jesus is inviting us into a world where we think less about me and more about we. I think Jesus is inviting us to imagine a world uh, where not the rich, the wealthy, those with status are preferred, but those who are poor, those who have been kicked to the margins are brought into the center and preferred. See, we ask this question, now what? And I think the answer to that is imagine a world where all of these things happen and then do it. Because all of these things, these are like Jesus' public policy as king about like how he wants the world and the cosmos and the universe to function. And so as we are following Jesus, living these things out, we are what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians ambassadors of all of this. Like physical representations of this kingdom and physical representations of our king. And so as we are trying to cultivate this new reality in this petri dish that we call the church, we're being shaped and formed in this. And then we take this new reality that we're being shaped and formed in and experiencing, and we go out into the world around us. Which, if you've read the newspaper lately, <laughs> can feel an awful lot like darkness. But we don't add more and more darkness to it because we've been shaped and formed in this new reality. And so, as we go out and interact with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our families, with our friends, I think we can be a bit of that light breaking into the darkness. And I think we can be witnesses to the hope that we have in this new reality that comes with Christ being our king. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you that our hope in you is not more of the same old, same old. But the hope that comes in you is about a new reality breaking forth into the old. That the tired old ways of war and empire will be broken and burned, rendered completely and utterly useless, and that we can follow Jesus into a new reality. Thank you for the the life and the teachings of Jesus, where he, He invites us to imagine a world that's different. God, in this moment, we submit ourselves to your spirit and ask that your spirit would lead us into this new reality. Help us to be a bit of a petri dish as we experience this new reality, be shaped and formed by it, and to go out and be a glimpse of your light breaking into the darkness. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.